0: everybody and welcome back to In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. This week we're discussing episode 7, Unification 3 of Star Trek Discovery, season 3. My name is Kevin, one of your hosts, and my other host is here with me.
1: My name is Ethan, and we are not only discussing Unification 3 but also Unification and I and Unification II. II sir. Wait, we're not pirates. One eye. Hi, sir. All right. I don't know if we ever talked about that line. It was that was a pretty funny line, I have to say. Wh- uh, which one? When Michael said, um, "One eye, we're not pirates." To uh, to
0: book. Oh, yeah. I think I. I don't think I remember that line. But okay. But either way, good call. Mhm. All right. So yeah. here we are, ready for some. 20, 29 years later, by the way, since the airing of the first episode, Unification. So this is a sequel of sorts to Unification 1 and 2, which were two episodes that began on The Next Generation in its fifth season. And we thought that if we're going to do an episode on Unification 3, might not be a bad idea to sort of discuss Unification 1 and 2 for a couple of minutes. A legendary hero is missing in action on a dangerous mission to unite two worlds. And deadly saboteurs threaten
1: their quest to find him. If we are discovered by the Romulans, it means death for us all. Now, as the future faces its darkest hour, fate joins together two generations. I'm looking for Ambassador Spock. Spock on the next exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation.
0: Unification 1 and 2, airing in November of 1991 for the fifth season of Next Generation. It's obviously a landmark episode because this is the episode where Leonard Nimoy makes his appearance on Next Generation.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, these were some great episodes. I don't, I'm not sure that I've watched them since they aired. Wow. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's... I These were not two episodes that I tended to go back and revisit, but I did enjoy them. And obviously it was a big deal that Spock made his appearance on The Next Generation. Because I'd always felt that up to that point, the show had already... At this point, I think the show really kind of proved itself, that it kind of came out of the shadow of the original series and finally stood on its own. But I feel like having somebody of the caliber of Leonard Nimoy within Star Trek appear on this show gave the next generation a little bit of extra validity. Felt like it was a really big deal. Agreed.
1: And the the biggest takeaway that I had from seeing it was just we often talk about being a little confused at times during Discovery Hmm. when we feel that we're not given information or we're not The information is not clearly uh, shown to be important. Yeah. And I was very impressed with how um, these two episodes handled the mystery because I was there for the whole mystery uh, as far as the Vulcan ship mystery. Right. I I felt like I was there for every step of the way when they determined there was a problem, when every new development came, and they were discussing next steps. Mm -hmm. So I I felt very uh, supported in that B plot, uh, even though – it took a while before it was clear. The connection between the B-plot and the A-plot,
0: I still thought it worked really well. Yeah, you, I remember you had watched it. I was just looking at my phone and I had to pull up the text that you sent me that day. So you watched this and you said to me, the first thing you said to me was, this episode is how you do a Star Trek mystery. And yes. before I And I looked at that message and I said, are you watching Next Generation? And you said, yes. I said, okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. Of course. Of course. <laughs> because I knew you weren't talking about Discovery.
1: Right, yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's i hadn't seen the episode in quite some time. And the thing is it doesn't it doesn't fully play into Unification Part three. I mean, it doesn't it picks up on just a on the overall theme of the episode, but there's nothing there's no small details that it connects to, right? Because as we know, the idea of the story of unification was just Spock leads a movement In an attempt to unite the Vulcans and the Romulans, to reunite the Vulcans and the Romulans as one people, to reunify them. And being that we're 930 years into the future at this point, we see that that actually succeeded. And it was interesting because given what has happened between the events of Unification 1 and 2, and even now, Romulus has been destroyed. We saw the events that took place on Picard. So it was interesting that this was not something that died alongside the world itself, that it was actually still strived for. My hope was that the two the two peoples would have sort of realized that, no, you know what, we need to kind of put our differences aside. Like maybe they were sort of heavily affected by the burn, and they would have just realized we need to help each other out.
1: Mm, but interestingly, it does seem as though... They were heavily affected, of course, by the destruction of Romulus, Mm -hmm. and that's why. Right. Um, So that was interesting, because that's something we talked about a lot in Picard, is what's the state of the Romulan people, given that we knew the state of the secret forces and the special forces of the Romulus, but that was about it.
0: Yeah, we, we don't really... And all through Picard, I mean, we don't seem to get a good sense of that. I mean, it it seems like they're fine because they're able to have the a large fleet of ships and, as you said, the special forces still exist. Yes. And the thing I kept saying during our coverage of Season 1 of Picard is that, well, the Romulans are an empire, right? Granted, they lost the homeworld, but they're an empire. They have multiple worlds. And while it's not really clear how much that supernova destroyed outside of Romulus and Remus, you can't assume that if if it was only those two planets that they destroyed... That that's the end of the Romulan people entirely, right? Yes, it's going to impact them quite heavily, but it's not the end of everything.
1: Right. And well, But what we did see of them, um, they were not in good shape. Right. When Picard went to the uh, saloon. <clears throat> right. Um, but what an interesting connection of uh, Picard and Unification 3. I think it's almost as if you mentioned how this was not a direct part three to the episodes. Right. But right. I think it's interesting that it's almost was handled in a very similar way to Picard season one, Mm. because you could have called an episode of Picard season one measure of a man part two, if you wanted to. Right. Because of the loose connection. And I think it's no accident that this episode was written by Kirsten Beyer, who. Yep was one of the co-creators of mm-hmm. Picard because it did something very similar. It took a small bit from a right. next generation episode an idea and it just sort of spun it into the future, which I think was handled really well in Picard and it was handled really well in this episode. And I gotta say, I think that's, a, I think
0: that's just a really just by itself. I think that's a really sort of cool idea in that, you basically take an existing two part episode and just decide almost thirty years later, you know what, I'm gonna write a part three to this. Like I don't I, I can't think of any sort of maybe, you know, films or TV or even like literary examples that have suddenly decided to just pick up on like an earlier story from so long ago and just decide and just decide, you know what, I'm gonna write a part three, even though it's not designed as such. Right? Right, and in this case, it's 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 another Star Trek series picking it up, right? It's not like Unification Three is happening on Picard. It certainly didn't happen on Next Generation. So the idea that a a successor Star Trek series picks up on an episode from one of the earlier series and decides I'm going to make this a part three.
1: Yeah, without some direct connection, like the um, yeah Deep Space Nine Tribble episode,
0: right. Right. Well, and, you know, that put itself into an existing episode already and sort of, like, happened—it was sort of a sequel, but also Mm -hmm. happened at the same time. So, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if I quite said that in the way I, you know, was trying to articulate it, but, yeah, to me, that's just a very, very cool idea. It's kind of like what they've been doing this season, as I've mentioned, almost every week at this point. We've only seen that Hope is You Part 1. Is there a Part 2 out there someplace? I hope so. But I kind of like the idea that it seems like the show is sort of trying new things as far as how you – where you decide to play stories. And I think that's kind of an interesting idea. Agreed. Yeah.
1: So, um, but, yeah. And just a little bit more on 1 and 2. It was it, They're just great episodes. I mean, they have a very – um it's a significant story but it's also you know yeah. it moves along nicely it sets up questions and then answers them pretty quickly yep um i think it's um uh, what's a good word for it? like economical the episodes you know they they yeah.
0: move through very um tightly we were talking about this when we recorded th- this particular episode last time so like last week we've had to re-record so two weeks in a row Awesome! Can't wait to do this again next week. Um, we were talking about how, sort of, the difference between the Next Generation and Discovery. And forgive me, I'm not trying to say one show is better than the other. I don't want to. I don't want to get into that. I would say that what Discovery could learn from Next Generation in this sense was you had talked about. You've always talked about how Discovery is very guilty. Of presenting things to us that we don't actually that we don't actually see take place. The characters experience it, but the audience does not. And in Unification One and Two, there were two storylines going on at the same time. And you said that every time we sort of flip-flop back and forth between each one, we're always seeing something very crucial. The story always moves forward. They're always showing us the important bits of each storyline each time.
1: Yes, I never felt lost. Yeah, and when there was a mystery, I knew okay, this is intentionally a mystery. This is not just information that maybe I wasn't presented in a good way.
0: Right. So I always felt
1: well taken care of as a viewer.
0: Yeah, I like the way you put that. I d- you feel well, yeah, well taken care of. I think that's a really great way of putting it.
1: And for me, Nimoy really is the heart of Star Trek. So right. the fact that obviously all three of these episodes have Nimoy in them in, in a very small way for part 1 and part 3 yeah but uh, that
0: was about well, very well done yeah and just to give a little bit of a background on unification 1 and 2 so that episode was done as i mentioned earlier in Nove- it aired in november of 1991 and at that point star trek 6 was about a month away from release and the franchise was celebrating its 25th anniversary so you had Star Trek VI coming up, which was the final film of the original series. But the 25th anniversary was all, it was also a really great way to honor the 25th anniversary of the franchise by having both shows cross over with one another. And of course, that was also followed suit in Star Trek VI when you had Michael Dorn appear as Worf's grandfather in that movie. So you had sort of a interplay between both series. I would say in Unification, my favorite moment, Unification Part 2, is there's a great moment between, there's a great scene between Spock and Data. And I think up until that point, Data had always been sort of considered the, the next generation's version of Spock. Like he was that character. And so it was great to sort of see Spock interact with. With data, with the next generation character. It was almost like this was the scene, this was something you felt like, this was something you didn't realize you needed once you saw it happen. It was just really cool to see Spock interacting with the then new Star Trek cast, the new kids on the block in some way.
1: Yeah, and it was such a, I'll use the word again, economical scene because, because it pulled so much in such a small amount of time. I, where, I, yeah. You had this great conversation where Nimoy, I mean, Spock pointed out to Data that he he wanted to, Data wants to be more human and Spock as a Vulcan wants to be more machine-like and logical and how uh, Data wants something that he wants to get rid of something is yeah. pure logic that all Vulcans want to achieve. Hmm. And, and the unsaid part is that Spock being half human wants to kind of purge himself of the thing that data most wants, which is to be more human. Right. And interestingly, I really liked it very subtle, but um, Spock gives away, gives it away when he says, I have no regrets and data points out that's a human expression. So he kind of gave him a little clue of like, yeah, I'm really into my logic, but I've not abandoned my humanity at all.
0: It's great. And, you think that if if I could have if you could have anybody from the original series meet anybody from the next generation at that point, it's got to be Spock and data outside of that, Kirk and Picard, right? But you also at I think at that time you also had a lot of the Kirk versus Picard, who was the better captain. yeah, but you could easily picture Spock and data talking and having a conversation. like I couldn't imagine, say, like, You know McCoy and Crusher meeting and having a good conversation just because they were both the doctors, (laughs) right? I mean, they're great characters, don't get me wrong, but Spock and Data meeting just made the most sense.
1: Yes, it was so good and given... We've talked about my feelings of Picard and Kirk meeting, I don't like that. So, I think this was incredibly well done. And also, even uh, Spock and Picard is nice as well because... um, You know, they sort of have a complex relationship, given Picard's relationship to Sarek and Spock's relationship to Sarek. But even there, you know, they're willing to hear each other out and they eventually come to be on the same side.
0: There's also that quick moment in the opening of the first part of the episode where uh, when they're in the conference room, the observation lounge, and Riker asks Picard, he goes, how well do you know Spock? And Picard says, I only met him once. What I know of him comes from history. But when he says, I only met him once, I thought to myself, well, that's something I would have wanted to see. Oh, yes. Yeah. Did he mention where? I think he did. I don't think he did, no. But, like, it also felt right for him to say that because it just seems like something that Picard would have... Because Picard was such a well-respected captain. He knew diplomats. He knew this person. He knew that person. So... It still felt right that he said that you could still imagine, like, yeah, I could see Picard probably meeting Spock at some point, like at some like you know conference, some conference or something or like something. that, yeah, 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 so, but one thing I will say that about that episode that so I watched Unification One and two before three, more so, th- so I could speculate i won want, I wanted to watch it to see if there was anything any ambiguous. Whether it was like moments or just dialogue that maybe I could sort of read into as a Star Trek fan and say, hmm, I wonder if they'll pick up on this thread. And I don't mean to toot my own horn, but the one scene that I did speculate on is exactly what they did in Discovery, which was Spock's sort of like final conversation to Picard. I remember I quoted that and tweeted it, and I just could have did like a think emoji. I was like, hmm, I wonder if this could be, and then that's exactly what they play in in Discovery, and I thought, oh, okay, well, I feel validated. Good job, me.
1: Yeah. See, and whereas I was saying it was definitely going to be that they would work in a Klingon aria into Unification Three, and that didn't happen, and I was wrong, and you know, I'm willing to admit that.
0: Yeah. But I would say for you, final thoughts on Unification One and Two. I mean, would you do you think it's one of the would you call it one of the best of next gen?
1: Well, that's my feeling right now, having recently watched it. Yeah,
0: yeah. It gives um, it new validity, it gives it new
1: relevance. Yeah, I mean, I, though I have to admit, there were some parts that I found a little goofy. The villainy of some of the Romulans was a little silly. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, I thought it worked. It did. It, it worked well, and um, it definitely was well done. And even a lot of the. Um, the smaller bits. I'm thinking of Riker doing his investigation, and he goes yeah. to the four-armed piano bar yeah. woman. Yeah, what a great scene, seeing the investigation take place and taking that next step. And what a memorable character.
0: It's really uh, funny that you mentioned the sort of villainy of the Romulans back then. So in that episode, because that's one of the things about Next Generation that I just find so funny now, when you go back and watch some of those episodes, like whether you're dealing with. Sort of mostly the Romulans or like the Ferengi, they just they so overdo it on the scumminess of their villainry that you're just like <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's yes. almost comical, right? It just seems Look, like that a cheesy comic pretty
1: ridiculous.
0: Yeah, like like the the Ferengi do a lot of like that Mr. Burns stuff, like they got the shoulders hunched over and they're just like oh yes, like they just they're so they're such evil doers and they're just so like and scummy is just the um, the word the word that just comes to mind. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, like they seem just like they almost seem like comic book villains or something like that, yes, yeah,
1: and it was striking to see the difference in and not to say one's better than the other, but it's it's um it's almost it's just so different TV has changed, I think is what it is, and yeah. there was more of a conciseness to it where it's all right mm-hmm. we have this many acts and we introduce, we you know, we, we we develop, we resolve. Yeah. Um. It's just so like they, they didn't waste any time. Out.
0: Yeah. And again, you know, as you said, let's not forget that as good as Unification One and Two are, they do come from a different era of television, right? I mean, back then Star Trek was, was episodes were being written in five acts. Now we're only down. Now we're down to four. They've stripped it down to four acts. So they had more time back then, to tell a story. right? I don't get how that applies Although to streaming. they're streaming now,
1: so they could have as much time yeah, as they want.
0: that's the thing. I don't get how that applies, why that applies in this case to streaming. But yes. nevertheless, I don't think it should. But yes. let's get into Unification 3. So this was an episode I was really looking forward to once I saw the episode list for the season. We... So I came away from this episode really liking it. Obviously, we were not happy with what happened last week with the episode Scavengers, and we were fearful that this was going to be setting a precedent for the remainder of the season. But I came away from this episode surprised, very satisfied, had a few little things that I thought could have been done better, but overall, I really enjoyed the episode. I think I enjoyed it more than I thought I would.
1: I liked it a lot, particularly... I felt most of our problems with last week's episode were resolved or yeah. handled in this episode, mm-hmm. and I hope that that just marks a um, continue, something that will continue for the rest of the season. Yeah, um, but it was it was almost uncanny where most of our criticisms were addressed in some way.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, I think what they're doing and what they did in this episode specifically, and even some of the ones before it, except for last week. They're they're getting relatively successful at doing these sort of self-contained stories, even though they're part of a larger storyline. And they've done a really good job in various episodes this season of setting things up in the first few minutes and then having them resolved by the end, whether it's a character arc, whether it's just a story, a plot element for that particular episode. And I came away from this episode feeling like I felt like I didn't really have any looming questions other than just the one that's been there the whole time is what is, what's the deal with the burn. And we're getting fed more of that each week, which I which I like. But I didn't come away from this episode sort of frustrated feeling like, why did they set this up? This isn't being answered. What the fuck? Like, that's how it, that's how I felt last week with Scavengers. Because as we discussed, they were focusing on these things which didn't seem important to – which were not important before and suddenly they were. And then we came away from that episode with more questions – I don't even really think we got any answers last week. So, yeah. Right.
1: And it's interesting because somehow in this episode, one could argue that something very similar happened where we were introduced to SB-19 at the beginning of the episode, and then it was resolved by the end, which we could say was sort of like the black box. But for some reason, well, I could actually explain the reason. SB-19 works so much better than the black box did.
0: Yep. Yep. I, I agree with you.
1: And I think one of the big things is that we got to watch while the SB-19 became Mm -hmm. uh, a focal point. Right. We were there. We watched Tilly and Michael analyze the data, and then Michael mentioned the SB-19, and then them go to Vance to try to get permission to see it. So, again, just like in the... Um, Unification 1 and 2, we got to watch every part of the mystery happen, the important parts.
0: Well, so in the scene, yeah, so Michael and Tilly are basically looking at the data from the black box, and they are able to triangulate that it seems like the burn happened within a specific location. It originated from a specific location and happened sort of, not necessarily in a wave, but it didn't... Different ships sort of shut down at different times during the course of the burn, so it seemed like... It happened at different times. And you can determine
1: the direction as it traveled through space.
0: So we're introduced to this little plot, the plot device of the week, which is SB 19. Now, already we're thinking, is this going to become another black box situation where something happened off screen that the characters are familiar with, but we are not? But yet, as the audience, we have to continue as if we know what it is. And.
1: I don't think I think it was explained pretty well too. It was that the Vulcans were trying to make some sort of a, um, almost like a warping travel. So they had these beacons yeah. all around the the all around space, yep. and they would have collected data, and they would have had more specific information about as the burn moved through space.
0: Yeah. So SB nineteen was a project they had developed, which was basically an alternative to using dilithium, and it was like using like a warp hub type of system. There's a similar mode of travel in the in the anime, Cowboy Bebop, where it's like a gigantic sort of like ring type of portal where you just go into it and the thing slingshots you to another part of the galaxy. And that's what they set it up as. But Michael and Saru obviously need to be kind of brought up to speed on what SB-19 was, and that's a job that Vance does. So you have the kind of observation lounge conference room scene this, where they're trying to figure this out and need to get sort of up and running and know what it is so they can address this properly. And yes,
1: and it was done so well because af- right after the next scene, yep. um, when Michael and Tilly were analyzing the data, we saw Vance and he repeated the information that they had figured out. Mm-hmm. Almost as in asking it back to them. So, so you're saying that this data, blah, blah, blah. Right. So it just was, all
0: right, we
1: saw them figured out, but now we're seeing Vance repeat it. We know this is important.
0: Right, and so they want to use that. So basically, so we learn in this moment. There's so much that we learn in this moment, so much to unpack. But we also learn that the Romulans and the Vulcans are now living on the same planet, and the planet Vulcan has been now renamed to be called Navar. Now Navar is the name of is Navar L- L- is Navar nev- Navar Burton. Navar is a lore name. It's a there's a Vulcan starship seen on Enterprise called Navar. So they're reaching into the past here with this name
1: and even well, more than that it actually comes from 1960s fan fiction mm-hmm. about vulcan which i guess was popular i didn't know this until i read about this particular name um and navar was a word that had been made up by fans and it meant duality or two you know things yeah. um and so it's perfect in this situation because you have yeah. The Vulcans and the Romulans—two different sides of the same people.
0: Well, let me tell you something else that's cool about that. So let's not gloss over the uh, the fact that the Discovery crew comes from a pre-Balance of Terror era. So they don't know. This is before Kirk and crew get a load of what the Romulans look like in Balance of Terror. So this is about a dec—they come from about a decade before that. So there's also that moment where the Admiral has to sort of get them up to speed to say that the Romulans and the Vulcans are of the same species. They just went their separate ways. The Discovery crew doesn't know that.
1: Yeah, they don't know anything about
0: Romulans. Right? They know who the Romulans are, but they've never seen them. Right. Right? They don't know anything about them aside from the fact that they had an Earth-Romulan war about 100 years prior. 200 years prior. So, um, so yeah. So, it was... I like that they actually went the extra mile to even address that because you could have easily just been like, you could have easily glossed over that, and it, yes. you know maybe it wouldn't have been a big deal, but you could have just the Discovery crew did not come off as if they knew anything about the Romulans, right? So they were they were learning all of this as they as they were getting informed by this, and we learned that this SB nineteen is actually the cause of the planet Navarre leaving the Federation. They Federation can't get access to the data. They feel like that the, they felt like that the SB19 was essentially the cause of the burn, which is not true. Michael's data proves otherwise, and they want to use that as leverage to get to go to the planet Navarre and bring this to them to get access to the to the SB19 data.
1: Mm-hmm. And interestingly, they say that Starfleet was pressuring the Vulcans to sort of develop this technology beyond what they thought was safe. Right.
0: Right. So, and Michael, of course, has that moment where she says, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm right for this. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this, but ultimately they choose her because the Federation also realizes that, well, you're the sister of Spock and they, they want to use that in addition for leverage. Mm -hmm.
1: That's at least going to get them in the door, so to speak.
0: Well, it's interesting. It's also interesting that the name Spock still carries so much weight, even almost a thousand years later.
1: Yes, I guess. Yes. And that's got to be due to the fact that they were unified.
0: Mm. Yeah. Which is a testament to his movement. Yes. Yeah. Um, Not that senator
1: who sold them out.
0: (laughs) I will say even in that moment on – In Federation HQ, it was great to see Vance actually sort of happy for once.
1: To see any mood
0: other than annoyed. Yeah, I just, I don't get what his, why he's such a, why he's so mean. Starfleet animals Mm -hmm. are never really, they're always so stiff anyway. Yeah, but it does seem strange. Yeah, but on the way to Vulcan, excuse me, Navarre, I've got to now change my thinking on this we get this really nice moment in Michael's quarters where she actually watches a holographic recording of Spock directly lifted from Unification to his sort of final moment with Picard, which is the thing I had mentioned I quoted on Twitter. And I think you'll agree, we can borrow some terminology that you used to describe Star Trek Picard. It was tastefully done.
1: Yeah, they didn't go over the top. There was no you know, holographic Spock running around.
0: Yeah, even though there was in unification too.
1: Yes, there was no... Yeah, it was very, very well done. And here's a, a first in a while for me. I, when Michael had an emotional reaction, I was right there with her. And usually when she yeah. has an emotional reaction, I'm just kind of observing and I'm not feeling anything. But yeah. she was filled with both kind of sadness and pride. And her bro- pr- pride in her brother and sadness that she didn't get to be there with him as he uh, you yeah. know, did all these things. So yeah. that was
0: incredibly well done. I think it, I was there with, right right there with her, but I think it was more having to do with us seeing Nimoy there. I don't know if it was me. I don't think it was me feeling sort of... I was feeling the same things that Michael was feeling, but I don't think my buying the emotion of the scene had anything, had anything to do with her. It was more that they brought in... Oh, there's Leonard Nimoy as Spock, and they're using this moment in just the right way.
1: The reason that I think maybe I was more with Michael performance-wise was because it was not as it was more restrained than Michael's usual emotional
0: scenes. Yeah. Although in that moment, though, she did say something that I really liked, which is mm-hmm. she never let herself look back to see who Spock became, which is something she could have easily done. Mm-hmm. Right. When she's in that, yeah. when she's in this sort of uncertain future alone, why not take some time and look to see what happened to the people that she knew back in the 23rd century? What became of them?
1: Yeah, she would have had three great seasons of her brother to watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exa- and a few movies. Since too. apparently their badges record everything. Oh, oh my god. Given that Picard uh, recorded Spock talking, I didn't mind. I didn't even. Didn't bother me at all. That's, I just
0: assumed, okay. yeah, why not? They record things. It's so I, did, I didn't bring this up on the last, on our last attempt at this recording. So apparently that moment is causing a problem because they're saying, haters are saying, well, Picard didn't record that. I don't know. Like, How do you, but, I, but I'm saying like, I was saying, yeah, but that's a basic, like movies and TV do that stuff all the time. It's not just Trek that does it. When you need to reference something from a earlier work you play footage from it because you know
1: right the other option is you have someone read it (laughs) oh here's what Spock said and someone reads it and who cares that's nothing that that wouldn't have the emotional impact
0: right and so I was like okay so why is it okay that in Star Trek 3 Kirk essentially watched the flight recorder of Spock dying but it was the exact same moment from Star Trek 2 does the Enterprise have a camera crew that records these things, yeah. Right in Encounter at Farpoint, when Riker comes aboard the Enterprise, he watches the earlier scenes in the episode when Q came aboard, and, and again, it's shot like the episode.
1: Yeah, so I don't understand different.
0: what the problem is. And somebody, yeah, I think they just ahead.
1: they want to. I don't know what they want. They want a textbook.
0: Not that you need an in-universe, not that you need to have an in-universe explanation. But I gotta give them credit. I don't have the name in front of me, so forgive me. Somebody had an excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, explanation. They said Picard is now a synth. So all of his memories have been digitized. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, you are exactly right. You win 12 internets. Yes.
1: And that was a very powerful moment for um, Picard, so I'm sure that would have been kind of burned into
0: his memory. But also Data was standing right there.
1: Oh yeah, Data would have recorded it. Yeah, come on, everybody.
0: Right, Data. But like... Look at how far the com badges have come, as you said. Who's to say they can't couldn't have been a recorder? They couldn't have been recording stuff at the time too.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the, you know, I hate to tell you, but Starfleet did not make you person
0: privy to everything that they can do. But at the same time, so what? It was relevant to do it. It made sense, and again, was tastefully done. Yes, and it worked great for the scene. Yes. I Never, just – I don't yeah. get the – I don't understand. But no, as we've established haters. of three years of doing this podcast, haters will latch on to just about anything.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, so then I really like how another connection is that Michael, similar to her brother, uses some cowboy diplomacy. Yep. She kind of goes uh, rogue a little bit when they are trying to negotiate to get the SB 19 data and realizes that they're not going to give it up. And she uh, invokes to call in cat, which yep. is a Vulcan um, scientific practice mm-hmm. where I guess you sort of appeal to the logic of the situation and yep. knowledge for knowledge's sake. And you, force a hearing where you get to make your case for why information yeah. should be shared.
0: And that's some world building for the Vulcans. I went back to memory alpha just to confirm that that was not a, to confirm if I'd heard that terminology before. And that's something that they added to the Vulcan society. And so, it fit so well. Oh yeah. It makes perfect sense within the context of who they are. Mm
1: hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and even the setup
1: where they had the holographic candles.
0: Yep. And by the way, oh. this all happens when they arrive at Vulcan because as uh, uh, Navar, excuse me, um, because as we know, they're not just going to willingly give up the data and be done with it. You've got to have a situation for the week, right? So this is what Michael invokes, and this is where we are. Now, she has – they come aboard Discovery so they can sort of perform this sort of – not really ritual, but uh, I forget the word I used last week. But Inquisition, maybe? Tribunal? Uh, tribunal is the word I used. It's literally a tribunal because there tribunal. are three. yep. Now, in that moment, there's a big reveal. So as soon as the envoy comes aboard from Navarre, obviously they're Vulcans, they're not happy about this, but they're going through with it. It's like an impeachment. <laughs> um, they, Michael is assigned a... I forget the term they use, but... Basically a, a legal counsel, right? Mm-hmm. Who comes aboard just after the... Envoy heads further and in, deeper into discovery. So Michael's legal counsel comes aboard. And it is revealed to be... I'm looking at you, because I want you to tell me. Oh, um, her mom. Yeah. Gabrielle Burnham. Which, yeah, I was totally fine with it. I was fine with it because... I was shocked. I was shocked, but I was also fine with it because... You and I had expressed concern a few weeks ago, over the course of the last few weeks. Well, what happened to Gabrielle Burnham? That was an important thread last season. Why haven't we seen her yet? And we were afraid that they had forgotten about her. Mm-hmm. So I was glad that they finally picked up on that.
1: Yeah, so this is one of the direct <clears throat> issues that we had with last week's episode, and mm-hmm. sort of where the show was at that point in the season that was addressed. So excellent! It was addressed in a way that made sense. It was kind of funny how they yep. threw in a line to explain away Teraleseum. Yep. But at least they did that.
0: But here's what's cool. Here's one of the things. That, here's one of the extra cool things about this that I really liked. Before she came on board, it was when they were sort of mentioning that your legal counsel is going to come on board, and they mentioned that this person is a member of the Kawat Millet, and they practice absolute candor, which, as we know, is direct connection with Picard which i yes. thought was which i thought was great
1: yeah so what a great episode for just putting discovery in the universe you know the direct yeah. connection to next generation direct connection to picard mhm really i think one of the best episodes of discovery
0: yeah and so we learn that michael's mother is now part of the qadmoleth and mm. We find out that after she left the twenty third century, Gabrielle Burnham, she didn't actually land on Terrellysium, but she landed on Esau Four, which is the planet they the crew originally used, were at to lure her, lure the Red Angel into the um into the twenty third century. She was brought to the Coat Mulet by one of the colonists on Esau Four to heal her, and I just thought to myself, Okay, well, I, I still have questions, but whatever. <laughs> I don't understand why, but, okay, fine, whatever. She's If she's with the co-op Millett, fine, whatever, right? I'm just I'm more happy that they finally, that they just didn't, to, to learn they did not forget about her, which is what I was afraid they did. Because as we saw earlier, they seemed, Michael seemed to gloss over it by saying, I contacted Taralysium, they never heard of my mother. Right. And we're like, well, that's important, don't we need to see this?
1: And even this seemed a little bit like that because I landed on whatever. Oh, it it's a big big mess. You don't want to hear about that.
0: It kind of blew it off. It's also, I think, important to point out that Gabrielle Burnham also returned to the century, but she returned to a century that she didn't leave behind. Remember, she was the only one there originally. There was nobody else in this on Elysium or even in the galaxy, for that matter. So she came back to a universe that was not the same that she left behind.
1: Yes. And, and so, I also sort of, I buy that she would join the absolute candor nuns, samurai nuns, because, um, you know, she'd been through a lot. I'm sure returning to what is a normal life would not really be possible. Right. So given that she'd be part of this order with discipline and a role, I don't know, it all kind of fit for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was I was fine with this, but... I really and so the other thing about all of this I really like is the scenes between Saru and the Navarre president. We get a few of them, sort of interspliced, intercut between the sort of tribunal that they've been having, or not, no, not between that, but before it and even and even after it. And what I love about it is I don't, I, I still think that Doug Jones is just a really good actor. I really do like his um his acting in this episode and even in previous episodes, but especially this one. Because he's he's portraying Saru in the role that I want that I wanted Discovery to be this season, in that they're playing that sort of role of hope, because that beacon of hope. Because they're coming into this, they don't know they don't know the full story behind all of what's going on what has gone on with Navarre, and the Federation. So he's coming to this strictly as an outsider. And what I'm hoping is going to come of it is having somebody like them come at this from the outside who's not familiar with it can help them sort of find a path to agreement and potentially resolution between the two worlds.
1: Right, and the thing that I see about this that's important is that there's a lot to the relationship between the Vulcans and Starfleet that I think we haven't gotten yet.
0: Right. And they're a founding member of the Federation. Let's not forget the Vulcans. Yeah.
1: But, um, I sort of have this theory about something that has got it. I hope is coming in some way. Mm. Uh, when the president talks to Saru, um, she says, Oh, uh, So Saru makes the point that Starfleet is still committed to its core ideals. Right. And the president uh, says sort of um, challengingly, like, you seem pretty certain of that. Meaning, I don't think that you really know what they're up to. Mm -hmm. And she said that there were numerous issues, and SB-19 was the final blow in their relationship. Now, here's the thing. And later during the tribunal... Michael makes a case about how the Federation could be trusted, and she also yeah. um, gets some pushback, and i like, can't really. And we kind of know that Starfleet can't fully be trusted because of what we saw happen to um, mm-hmm. to Philippa, Georgiou. There's some mm-hmm. shady side to Starfleet that Michael Cronenberg represents that we right. don't really know about. So. I, hope, I don't think it can be as simple as just Starfleet is great and we just have to convince everyone that they're great. I think they're going to have to grapple yeah. with what is going on behind. Yeah.
0: You don't think it's a simple matter of just disagreements and different ideologies. It's just you think there's something
1: more going on there. There's something sinister going on. Yeah. And whether Starfleet is involved in it, they're well, they're certainly involved in it to some degree. Whether yeah. they're aware of it all, we don't know, but I think that all has to be dealt with because – it's interesting whenever as they're going around and and they're singing the praises of Starfleet Mm. and it's ideals, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, but they're up to something
0: shady. Once again, I am wondering if this is somehow setting the stage for what we could be seeing on this supposed section 31 series.
1: I think it could, but Mm -hmm. I think
0: it's still as relevant to this show it needs to be dealt with to some degree. You make me wonder about how this Section 31 show could work. And I'm spitballing all of this, but could it be that this Section 31 show kind of runs in parallel with the events, with the world building on Discovery? Discovery is trying to sort of reestablish this federation but there is some sinister shady shit happening behind the scenes that maybe they're not aware of or something. It sounds really dark the way I put it, mm. but do the two shows sort of operate hand in hand that way?
1: Well, I'm, let's see, but I know, you know that there, something's going to happen because we do see in the, you know, upcoming scenes that, something happens with George O. So I'm sure, I think things are going to be revealed in this show about what's happening.
0: Because again, I've always felt that that's why we've not heard much of the section 31 show, because I think that the clues to this show, no matter how minuscule it might be, lie in discovery and whatever. It may be that whatever you say publicly about the section 31 show potentially says something on the, uh what could happen on discovery. So like for example, I don't know if David Cronenberg would would be a cast member on a Section Thirty One show, but let's just say for the sake of argument he he would be. Right? If you make casting, if you announce cast members, then weeks later you see him on Discovery, you're like, Oh, okay, well I know who he is. Right? All right. So, yeah, I
1: guess you probably wouldn't hire David Cronenberg for a guest spot on one episode.
0: Right, right. So I, I don't know. Again, I think I'm. It may sound far-fetched. I've never seen shows or films go to that length to conceal details of something because it affects something else. I'm. Sh- I'm not saying they haven't. I just can't think of anything that has done that. Right. That's the only theory I have. But it's the it one be, that
1: attention to detail
0: and makes sense.
1: And it would also indicate a certain level of pre-planning. So I hope, hope that's the case. That would be impressive.
0: Right. Yeah. We know what they're doing essentially. Um. So what are your thoughts on the sort of tribunal that they're having? As we said, it's an extremely Vulcan type of thing to do.
1: I think it's it's fine. I think it makes sense. I think um, I, I do teach some logic and logical fallacies when I teach writing argument. Yep. So I did like the fact that some of that got in there. I wish there was some more. Um, Michael is accused of using a um, an appeal to pathos, an appeal to emotion that mm. shouldn't really, when it comes to like science, an appeal to emotion is not really gonna help. Right. So it was good that she got called out for that. I did think that the way they said they were going to attack Michael's credibility was sort of. Um, uh, a logical fallacy where you attack the bringer of the information rather right. than the information itself. Yeah. Um, but eventually it sort of made sense because they were talking about how if she wants to use this information for so- something negative, then that would be mm-hmm. uh, what they would look out for. But I think her commitment to Starfleet, I didn't find, I didn't find that angle worked for me. Right. I think that you can believe in, in – she could believe in the goodness of Starfleet and still not want to continue to be in Starfleet. I don't – it seemed like a lot of it hinged on the fact that, well, if you believe in Starfleet so much,
0: why do you want to leave? Why, yeah. Oh, and, yeah, because that's that's one of the themes of the episode. Michael feels like she doesn't have a place.
1: Right. So I don't see that – yeah. It, it sort of tried to make the case that if you want to leave, then it must not be as good as you say it is. Right. Which you, one can want to leave an organization for a lot of reasons, and they don't have to be that you don't believe in what they're doing or trust them.
0: Right. And I think but, it it makes all the more sense. Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, I was going to add to that by saying I think it, and that's why I think it makes all the more sense to have Gabrielle Burnham there in this moment, rather than just using her as a way to revisit that story line that was that seemed to be forgotten about because there's that moment where she's basically, she takes Michael aside and then she begins to essentially trigger her all throughout the tribunal and get the truth and get the truth to come out. She
1: gives her some of that absolute candor.
0: Yeah. Yes. No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Which, which again, I I mean, I felt that that, I, I honestly felt that that really worked.
1: Yes, and I love this as a resolution to the story of Michael that we've been talking about of how one week she's into being in Starfleet, the next week she's sad because she doesn't know if she fits. And I th- right. I think we both found it to be sort of a frustrating storyline because there's no – there's never a reason why she switches her mind. It's just, oh, wait, yeah. what's it going to be this episode? Is we, she going to be we were committed frust- or not committed?
0: We were really frustrated because how do you – one of the things I had said last week was I was like, how do you go from – Let's let's show them who we are, to mm-hmm. this insubordination. And so, when yes. you tell me this week, I'm committed to Stifler. You know why should I believe you? Well,
1: we you, saw it now. We saw
0: it, and we, got,
1: we saw the reason. We saw the reason for it, and we saw. I mean, I think it was so well done, right? That she actually faced everything and came to terms with it, whereas all the other times I wouldn't believe it.
0: Yeah, that's what you said last time in this recording. You had said because I because my concern was, well, how long is this going to last? And you said, you said, I think this is it. I think this is the one. I think this is we where got she to realizes see the transformation. Yeah, we got to see it happen.
1: So it kind of goes back to this main critique that we have: is when we don't see these things happen, yeah. it's to the viewer it's as if they didn't happen
0: and again it it that's why it makes all the most sense that it's gabrielle burnham right because who else could do that that wouldn't be you couldn't just fill that role with anybody right it was gabrielle right. burnham is the one that actually brings that out in her i still think it's a little strange only because they haven't seen each other for quite some time and i don't, I don't just mean like with the time travel stuff she was raised on vulcan so she missed the formative years of her life right right so I kept thinking, like, well, how much of this can you really speak to? Because you were, you have not seen Michael in a long time. She's right. a different I think
1: person. At one yeah. point they mentioned, I think, that uh, the president said, you know, we are going to assail your credibility ruthlessly. Yeah. And I think they, they had a file on her. Like, Starfleet shared the files on her. Or they had the files or something. But so I think she was able to fill in what she didn't know from the, you know, personnel file.
0: But I love that they... Well, they seem to focus on the negative stuff that she did, which was... They mentioned the uh, her insubordination the week before. They had mentioned when she um, mutinied on the Shenzhou. But it forces Michael to basically say, in not so many words, but say, yeah, but I also... None of you would be alive right now if it wasn't for what I did.
1: Yes, and because she got... I think, obviously, they already trust the... What are they called? Malat Maquette, Kuat Malat, yeah. Kuat Malat. They already trust them, but especially the fact that she just laid into her daughter and pointed out all the terrible things that she's done. So then when she turns it around and says, didn't we, you know, essentially sacrifice our lives and our futures to save all life? And she says, yes. And didn't we, like, live up to all the ideals of Starfleet even when it was difficult? Mm -hmm. Yes. So...
0: And I'm going to tell you, it was like her advocate became her witness. These, this is something that's now that I'm now remembering, and I didn't remember this last recording. There's a moment similar to this on Enterprise. I forgive me, I do not remember the episode. I know it's a it's a first season episode. I think it's the episode Unexpected, where the Klingons essentially have the Enterprise over a barrel, right? They've got the upper hand um, in every which way. And Archer doesn't know doesn't know what to do, and the Klingons, of course, are trying to paint Archer and Humanity as these as their enemy and they need to be destroyed and they conquered or whatever. And T'Pol steps in and she said, you know, Captain Archer's the one who rescued Klang the, from the first episode and brought him back to the Klingon Empire. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's really at a basic level, like for all the stuff for all the bad stuff you want to paint on this person, he did they did do stuff to help you. So, yeah, like, it's, it's, you need to not focus on that. And don't forget, she was a volunteer. Yeah, or at also. least consider the whole. You've got to consider the whole picture here and not just focus on this. Yeah. So, it felt very in line with what I would expect to happen in a Star Trek episode. Very yeah, much so. And,
1: and I think this is another thing that I think we were kind of comparing the SB19 to the black box from last week. Right. And I think also, when you look at the process that the episode unfolded f- to get both. Yeah. One, they had a laser blast rescue mission. Mm. And, uh, and I asked this before, what was the thing that did not happen once in this episode? Not a single laser blast. Right. So, uh, you know, not perfect, but still the resolution came through debate and ideas and, mm. And so, I mean, that was very, very Star Trek, and that's... Um, there were plenty
0: of laser blasts in The Wrath of Khan, though.
1: Yeah, and, you know, The Wrath of Khan is, I don't believe, the best <laughs>
0: of Star Trek. Right. But you're in the minority on that. I mean, I'm in that minority, too, but <laughs> yes. I mean, if you put it...
1: I'm, I can see saying that it's one of the best movies, maybe, but, yeah. you know, as far as you cut it kind of, all the TV shows, no way.
0: This, But what you're saying is, like, this is... This is like measure of a man solution. This is like drumhead solution. It's not That's through. like a
1: trial. Yeah. We're going to debate it out here. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And then in the end, how Michael wins them over is she says, she does something selfless. First off, she says, you know what? I'm not going to ruin the piece of, of the, essentially the unity that my brother built. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna keep hunting and' I'll, if you won't trust me, I'll trust you. I'll share all the information that I get. And which was great. And good day to you see you later. And right. then the president's
0: like, you know what? Here you go. So yeah, it was great. It was perfect. Well and, and that's see and that's another aspect of it. I love that they actually I love that they actually um, she got what she needed. and we got to see what was actually on it. Yes, and we got to right? see the process. I like that it wasn't, you know. Last week, for all of its faults, we also didn't get to see everything they went after for that black box. We also didn't get to see what was on that black bo- what was on the black box. No, well, we did at the beginning of this episode at least, right? But that's how they determined they needed SBD. There was no, but there was no. Last week's was lacking payoff, right? Yes, yeah, this it, one it may built as well to have
1: been... Yeah. The suitcase from Pulp Fiction,
0: where yeah,
1: who cares? It's just the thing that drove the plot along. This one, this one
0: built up to something, and then it paid off in the end.
1: Yes, in the in the conflict that resulted in getting it, moved our characters along. Right. So I, I seeing Giorgio and Michael go and shoot up a um, salvage facility didn't. Move
0: no story along. I don't think no. Maybe and we said, idea. and we said that was we felt that was the the most uninteresting as part of that episode.
1: Yes, yeah, so, uh, yeah. generally that's been very consistent for us. Whenever there's that kind of action, we usually say that that's the most boring part of the show.
0: Right, right. Even though Akiva Goldsman has already said on the Ready Room that Discovery is more action adventure, but okay, fine. But a lot of it's just not interesting. Though some of that action yeah. is not interesting.
1: Yeah, unmotivated action.
0: No good. Um, Um, But we get a nice scene of resolution between those two where Gabrielle was saying, you know, they're having their goodbye, and Gabrielle says, I've wanted to say this to you for a long time. You always know where to find me. Now, is is this the end of the Gabrielle Burnham story? I don't know. It seems like it is. I think it's a nice sort of ending to it all, but if I was to critique that storyline on the show, I think it was not handled very well. I thought it was brought to a nice end, but they didn't do much with it throughout the course. I felt that it was an important element, an important vestige of last season that was not properly addressed early on this season, and that it needed to be.
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. Yes, it ended it perfectly, Yeah, but... Didn't get sort of get all of it, get as much out of it as the show
0: could have. Like, that wasn't... The fate of Gabrielle Burnham before this episode was not a question within the context of the show, and I felt that it needed to be. We were wondering where she was, but the characters right. were not questioning it. Saru asked her, but mm-hmm. there needed to be some kind of, well, let's go to Terra and find out.
1: Right. Let's and, and go, the thing I
0: think right? that was done brilliantly, and again, I'm going to
1: praise... Kirsten Byers up and down, because the thing that I think was done so well is that rather than have it just be, oh, we're gonna find out the fate of Gabrielle Burnham. Yeah, it was more we found out in the course of her role in Michael's story that was incredibly well done. Right. So I like that it was an afterthought because if you know. I had no inherent need to know what happened to her. I only needed to know because the show told me I needed to know. You know what I mean? Right. So I thought this was very well done. Because Michael's our main character, not Gabrielle. So if it were just finding out what happened to her just to find out, it would not have been very satisfying.
0: Right. The last thing to mention in this episode, the one thread that we, I think, unintentionally lost over is tilly's tilly's little storyline there which tilly is now been asked to be to be the acting first officer so yes, acting i'll just interject
1: one. and say this is another one of the critiques we had from last week's episode of where the season was yeah that it's as, if they, it's as if they listened to our episode last week and then remade the whole episode to address all of our concerns, which obviously I know did not happen. But, um, so we were wondering, what happened to the storyline of Tilly wanting to
0: be in command? right? And at least it was picked up here. It was picked up. But this is, this is an aspect of the episode that's not getting a good reception among fans. Everyone loves the episode, but they don't like this aspect of it. They don't like... They just don't feel like this is realistic. I... And... I, I mean... It doesn't, Starfleet
1: it doesn't matter to
0: me. Like, Starfleet's not a real organization. No. It's what this episode did. <laughs> and it's not the Starfleet to hold. Right. I mean, what this episode does is it picks up on old threads that we were wondering what happened to this. And they they decided to either add more to it and advance it a little bit or just resolve it. Right, or
1: because they knew Michael – they kicked Michael down. Right. They had to have someone until he made sense. And I do think they gave us an in-show reason that works so well is that um, Saru said it when he he asked her. He said, given my experience with Michael, the only thing I care about with my number one right now is trusting them, and I trust you completely. So, you know, it's the person that
0: he trusts. Right. So he's going with her.
1: I think it's totally sensible.
0: Yeah, and look – Let's not forget that this was how Kirk was advanced in rank in the Abrams film. I'm not saying that's a good that's a good example to point to. But, I mean, Wesley Crusher, it was the same thing. Half of the Maquis crew on Voyager, Janeway, just gave them field commissions, right? I mean, yeah. it's not like this hasn't been done before.
1: Right? And I don't think that there are um, classes of fresh officer cadets graduating from Starfleet Academy every year or a few months right now. I don't think there is a Starfleet Academy right now.
0: But I will say the one thing that came out of this that I was not a huge fan of is, and this speaks to a point that we had, we've had in the past. So I'm going to quote somebody on Twitter that I think communicates this point perfectly well. This all has to do with that scene in the end of the episode in engineering when the sort of recurring cast, the secondary recurring cast. And when I say that, I mean the, the other bridge officers. They're all telling her, say yes, say yes, say yes. So this guy on Twitter, his name is Matthew Rimmer, at, at Matthew Rimmer, says that, and I think it's so apt the way he says this, he says, one of Star Trek Discovery's biggest flaws is the frequent showing us how much the Discovery crew cares for each other, whilst giving us the audience so little to care about them. Three seasons in, we hardly know them. Season one, it was a choice. Three seasons in, it's a flaw. Now, again, the the crew in question he is referring to are the ones that are on the bridge. So Detmer, Owo, Bryce, and Reese. Right Now, we've gotten a little bit more from Detmer and Owo this season, but the other two guys we have not. And, right. and the one who plays uh, the human who used to play, the, the, the blonde actress who, used to, who did play Arium last in season one. I forget her name. But you see this sort of tight camaraderie between all of them, but we don't have any sense of that. So the scene, this moment, while it should be a happy moment and have some emotional weight, does, doesn't does have any any of that. Because we don't know these characters.
1: Yes, and I'll even add to it, not only do we not know them, we don't know why they like each other. Right. Um, and I, I also would say that there are two sort of acting styles that you get. They're from from the, these characters. They're either intense because they're doing orders and it's a tense situation on the bridge, or they're just all smiling really big because so this is supposed to be oh wait, they're supposed to be friends, so they're all smile. But we don't see anything to indicate that they're friends except right. their big
0: smiles. I Which, mean, the yeah. actors are, don't have much to work with, so it's not their fault. It's not their fault, but the, the characters don't say much outside of just giving a status report on what's going on on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Right. But they smile so big, they must like each other, right? And and look, I. The sense I get from it is that they're close friends as actors and real people because they're on that set eight you know eighteen hours a day with no lines to remember and they're probably really close and maybe they're playing their characters in that sense and they're probably really bored. But as a viewer, I don't get that. I I don't see that on screen because you don't you have not given them enough to work with for me right. to care. Now, having said that though. If Detmer and Awashikin, if one of them was, say, killed off, I'd be like, ah. But yeah, I'm it's, three, it's taken me three seasons to get... Well, two and a half seasons to get there. Right. I do miss Arium, just because Arium was so cool looking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, It's a bummer. It's a bummer. It really is. And this actually reminds me... I did mention it, but earlier in the episode, we get a couple of times that um, Tilly says to um saru one she says um you know michael is someone i love more than anyone in the world and i think really why <laughs> i didn't know that hey yeah. and why because they're him? rimmies right and then um what is the other one then the, she also said uh, what would i do without you michael if you would laugh it's like, i mean, you <laughs> do
0: whatever you've been doing which is not much they've had some scenes over the years but i get what you're saying like They share those science scenes aboard Discovery, but Tilly never goes – like, if they go on an away mission or something like that, like, Tilly doesn't come with them.
1: Right. right. And I remember they had a few scenes, maybe in the first season, when they were first roommates, that maybe showed a little bit of closeness. But that was a long time.
0: Well, because at that time, Tilly was the only one – Tilly didn't have any preconceptions of her. Yes, yes. Right? Tilly was, was the only one who kind of accepted her. Tilly was the only one willing to be her friend. Yeah, so I, I think yeah.
1: Tilly's the, probably the mo- the most disappointingly used character, only because it started off that Tilly had a character, right, and then it just slowly kind of
0: drifted away. I think what happened was they probably created her with the intention of being Michael's, you know, best friend, but. Maybe they found that in writing it, it's actually more fun to write Tilly with Stamets because Stamets is kind of mm. her foil, right? It could it could have been like they were like, you know what? It's better to write her over here. I think she right. So I yeah. I, didn't I think enjoy giving
1: Michael too much to do, right? Because then she had a boyfriend, and then he was a Klingon, and then she right. had a brother, and then I, she had a mom, and I, then she had
0: another boyfriend. So it's. I enjoy the Tilly Stamets. Into, uh, chemistry quite a bit Michael is very kind of lone wolf in that sense I don't see her with a with a, and I think that's why they keep throwing romances at her
1: right and that's right? why I keep wondering why does Tilly love her so much or why do they have this close relationship but Michael is such a lone wolf actually we think Stamets reminds me so people that had a just to go back a little bit people that had a problem with Tilly becoming number one I say well who else would it be it can't be Stamets because he's an asshole right <laughs> It can't be Culver because he's engineer. a doctor, so yeah. you need yeah. him. Yeah. Um, it can't be Owo because she has to what fly the ship. Right. And science people seem to be good first officers, I guess. Yeah. Science or security because they're going to be.
0: It's going to be Jojo.
1: Yeah, can't be, you definitely don't trust Jojo. Nobody trusts Jojo. Right. So yeah, there's not really it can't be Linus because he just gets lost and he's sick
0: all the time. Yeah. So like, it can't be. So aside from that, yeah, like aside from there's not really much of a, I mean, regardless of how you feel about Tilly being the person, there isn't really anybody else you could bring on for that. There's nobody else you could put in that position. If you bring on a new character, it's going to be like, who the hell is this? Right. And plus she's only acting, allegedly. Right. Is But here's my question. Is this going to now be the running gag on Discovery where they... Has has the lack of finding a captain has that now moved over to the lack of finding a first officer, right? Yeah.
1: That's true. So I wish we had found out who that captain was going to be from Vulcan. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I will say before we get into before we kind of wrap this up, the one thing that they did not address in this episode, which I kind of thought they would, was the destruction of Romulus. I'm a little I was a little surprised that 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 never came up. I think but, it was mentioned. Yeah. I think they did say after
1: after the destruction of Romulus, that's when the unification finally happened because they essentially had nowhere else to go. Did they say that? I don't know if they said it or I inserted it in
0: my brain. I feel like you inserted that in your brain. Makes a lot of sense though. <laughs> that's it? pretty crucial in my opinion.
1: Makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah.
1: So I think it's important to talk about what we saw for the next time on Discovery because I think we saw a couple of things that seem very important. Yeah. I think we saw Philippa oh. looking either like she was a hologram or made out of programmable matter. Yep. And then we saw an Orion finger with a long fingernail hitting like a fire button. And we saw an Orion woman on uh, the view screen of uh, maybe Discovery. So I think we're going to get the leader of the Emerald Necklace to come in. Uh, they're going to fight with her. But, a of laser blasts, you know.
0: But they also say in the trailer that they, they're at the point of origin for the burn. Right. So it seems like the, they're definitely moving that story ahead, which I like. I will say, because you reminded me when you said O. So we didn't get any O. this week, right? We didn't, she wasn't I in the didn't episode. miss it at all. I did not miss it one bit. I, I, I'm intrigued by what's going on, but I, I have this sort of feeling like okay but not now like not now let's revisit it at some point but not right now i don't have time for this so yeah i, I was not i did not miss it one bit
1: no i, I it's kind of the next time i see her i want to get some resolution or at least find out what's happening i don't want to see any more breadcrumbs of oh something not right with philippa like obviously we know it just get on with it already i don't the thing is
0: I don't want this to linger and then have it be a mystery that becomes just as important as the burn. Right, right. That's not what I that's not what I want. I just I want to I definitely want to know what's going on, but you need to keep on track with the burn. We were afraid that last week went off the rails. Right. right. Yes, I Man. want to keep
1: it like SB19, right? You introduce it? Correct. You move to the next step. You have a conflict about it. You resolve it. Right. You get your information.
0: Yeah. So don't forget about it, but also don't... Let's, again, let's stay focused on the burn, and then we'll worry about the rest after yeah, that.
1: now we've got the burn, we've got the Emerald City, and we've got... God, I'm just doing it on purpose now. The Philippa and Cronenberg. Yeah. yeah. And then so... we've got still Book chilling around for no reason, which I guess that has to be dealt with. Oh, that's another thing in the, in the upcoming We see him go. We, we, see him on his planet again with the swimming slugs. Yeah. And the glowing forehead. So that's going to come back in some
0: way. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I had addressed this in a previous recording, but I decided not to this at this point because I, I had some time oh, to think yes. about it a little bit more, but you know, one of the things, the thing I had asked last recording was I said, does he even still, does he still need to be there?
1: Yes, but, and I think that he yeah. he was good because he represented the alternative that Michael had. Yes, it was Starfleet or it was him. Right. But now that she's chosen, I don't know. I guess he's not going anywhere because they show him um, on this planet. I Unless guess I just, just dropping him off.
0: I guess I just don't want him to become like a. I don't want him to become another Tyler. In that he's just he's just forced into every. Episode that he's in, but doesn't really have a function. I think he makes more sense. He makes more sense in this season because I like because what you said makes perfect sense. Tyler was fine in season one, but Tyler had, in my opinion, had no reason to be there in season two. Absolutely no reason to be there.
1: Yeah, it's to frustrate us.
0: Yeah. So.
1: So yeah, I hope if he sticks around, it's because he or his people play an important role in one of the. Yep mysteries
0: but i think overall a satisfying episode i think it ended on a note of hope um i like them sort of planting a seed for Navarre to eventually rejoin the federation um i think it was an overall satisfying episode it wasn't perfect but as i said it resolved everything that it introduced yes and i would absolutely like to see if we if, if this is the caliber we can expect from like a kirsten Buyer. just give him the whole show please give her more show <laughs> give her more episodes Yes, and yes, definitely. I yep.
1: think it could get right between her and then the writer who I forget her name, but she's also, I think, the head of Section 31, which is good, but the one who wrote... Yeah, uh, Bo
0: Young Kim, and I forget the other one. I forget one. I forget yes, other yes, same. yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: But between the two of them and, and Kim's writing partner, they should run the whole show.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I realize you can't crank out a winner every single week, but <laughs> I mean, last week, come on, guys.
1: Yeah, man, wow. All right, but
0: back on track,
1: and hopefully that will continue.
0: Right, so we will be back. uh, As of this recording, it will be this week, because we've had to record this. So the new episode comes out on Thursday of this week, so two days from now. So we, barring any technical glitches, (laughs) which I do not anticipate, I will promise I will do a better job of just being a little bit more... uh, on hand to ensure that nothing goes wrong. I'm, I'm impressed that we've gone three years with very little hiccups. Oh yes. Yeah.
1: Sure.
0: I got to give myself a hand in that. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm cause you, you would said before, a lot of times you'll listen to podcasts and they'll, and they'll mention, yeah, this is like our third time attempting to record this, right?
1: Yes. It always and we're happens. like,
0: what? Something
1: happened. Yeah. Like it just didn't record or they forgot to press record. And usually they complain the whole time about how it was better the time before, so we did not do
0: that. I one one time, for those who don't know, I sometimes do voiceover on the side. I once did a 13-page script, never hit record, read the whole thing, never hit record. (laughs)
1: So
0: Mm -hmm. I was, I I don't think I've ever been more mad in my life. Just a warm-up. Oh, God, it was awful. It was terrible. (sighs) Yeah, well, but with that said... You can tweet us at Star Trek we Trust, and you can email us at instartuckretrust at gmail.com. Anything else you want to mention before we go?
1: Well, I just think it's important that we mention that we are the 51st most popular after show in Spain.
0: Oh, yeah. That was weird. That was random. <laughs> yeah. That's it. All right. Later, skaters. All right. Peace out, everybody.